You're listening to the Option Alpha Podcast from OptionAlpha.com, where we show you how to make smarter trades, learn how the stock market really works, and generate consistent monthly income. Now, your host and head trader at OptionAlpha.com, Kirk Duplessis. Hey everyone, this is Kirk here again from Option Alpha, working every single week to make this the most popular investing podcast offered online because it's based on one thing and one thing only, and that's helping you guys make smarter trades. So again, thank you so much for tuning in to today's show. On today's show, we are going to be talking about potentially a little bit of a hot topic because a lot of people get started trading options potentially with just a little bit of money. So today's topic is going to be on how to build an options portfolio with just $3,000. And this is going to be a topic that I think is going to be tough to go through because I don't think it's going to be easy to do this. But if I had $3,000 to start over with, this would be the process that I would use to start building out an options trading strategy, how I would allocate it, what tickers I would choose, the strategies, etc. So hopefully if you're a newbie trader or if you are just getting started and you don't have too much money, this might be a very good podcast to go through because it is going to help you in kind of the structure and the layout of, of how I would do it if I were to start over with this again. So this really comes from the question that I got recently, which was, I only have $3,000, Kirk. I know options trading you know, could work for me, but I need more money or I need to know what to do. And it really kind of like piqued my interest as to saying, okay, I'm finally got to do this podcast. I've been like pushing this off for a little while because I really don't like do, talking about this topic in particular. And I'll tell you why here in a second. But if I'm going to talk about it, I'm going to talk about it from my perspective, how I would do it if I were to start over again and kind of really kind of lay out the process and framework. The reason that this is going to be hard for sure to go over is because we don't suggest starting with $3,000. So although I'm using this as the potential starting point, I 100% and people inside of our support center, the team that we have that does support know for sure that I tell people, look, you can start with $3,000. You could start with $1,000. I'm not going to tell you what to do or what to start with, but I would probably suggest that people start with at least $5,000 or more. And there's a reason behind that. It's not just I'm just arbitrarily saying $5,000 and that's what you need to start with. I think at $5,000, you get much closer for allocation and overall exposure to what you actually should be at in the future. And so for that reason, I think 5,000 is probably as close as you could probably go. You're not there yet, but at least at $5,000, it really opens up the window for you to do a lot more things and it gives you a lot more of a cushion. So just for full disclosure, do I suggest you start with $3,000? hundred percent not. But a lot of people say I have $1,000, $2,000, $3,000, whatever it is. So I'm doing a podcast to say, look, if you have something and you're hell bent on starting trading options, then this is how I would do it. That being said, I think you're better served to just sell some crap around your house, to get an odd job for a weekend, do some extra hustling, whatever, and get a couple extra thousand dollars and start with a little bit more money. So to make sure I'm totally clear on that, do I think you should start with 3000? I think you should probably save more. But if you are convinced that you should do it, I'm going to pretend for a moment that I'm starting back again at $3,000 and I'm totally convinced on doing this. How would I go about it? Now, a couple little more disclosures because I think it's important and it kind of sets up the framework and the perspective of what we're doing. 
It's not impossible to trade with a little bit of money, but you're definitely not going to crush it overnight. So as long as you have, and we tell people this all the time, especially when we actually turn people away that say, Hey, I want to sign up, but I only have a thousand dollars. We turn those people away and we say, look, you just got to save more money first. But even if you start with a little bit of money, it's not impossible to do okay, but you're just not going to crush it overnight. So don't expect that you're going to come in here and you're going to make hundred percent returns or even 50% or 20% returns overnight. It's going to be hard, but you can learn to manage a small account, which will help you in the future when you get more money. I've always said, if you can't learn to manage a small account, having more money is not going to be a solution to your problem. So just throwing money at the issue doesn't magically make you a better manager of money. So if you start with $10,000 and you blow $10,000 because you trade the wrong strategies and over allocate, starting with $100,000 just going to be a quicker way to blow $100,000, right? So don't think that if you have a little bit of money that you're at some detriment you know, to somebody else that's starting with a higher amount. If you learn to manage this properly, the more you start to add to your account as you save and invest and do all the things you should be doing you know, on the personal finance side, the better off you're going to become. You're going to become a better steward of your finances. So that all being said, we still want to try to keep the same general principles in place as we're building out this portfolio. So things that you want to keep in the back of your mind as kind of being the big rocks of what we try to teach here at Option Alpha, which is small positions, diverse and uncorrelated tickers, low overall allocation, premium selling, high trade count, et cetera, right? So as we're building this out, keep those in the back of your mind. We're still targeting the same kind of things. We're not doing anything dramatically different, but we're going to have to, unfortunately, at this level, break maybe some of these rules, which we might have to do to get started, right? So again, do I think people should suggest like starting with this? No, but if we're going to play the game of if I were to start with 3000, how would I go about it? Air fingers quotes. Okay. So the first thing I would say is if we're going to start with a little bit of money, I would start immediately trying to divvy up the pot. So when I think about trading, I think immediately of what am I going to trade? Like what portion of the account is going to be tradable? And then the other portion of the account is just going to sit in cash. Now, my general thought process on this is at least 50% should be in cash at all times. Uh, if you have an IRA account, maybe you could go to 40% cash or 30% cash. It's still up to you what you want to do. My personal preference is we should have probably at least 50% cash at all times on average. Does that mean that sometimes we allocate more to the market? Of course. Does that mean sometimes we allocate less? Of course. But we should have a very good cash cushion in our account to withstand things like black swans, huge spikes in volatility, bad sequencing, just a random string of bad trades. Cash is your savior. It becomes your optionality. It gives you flexibility not to be forced into doing things you don't want to do or are bad for you at the moment. So a good example of this that we always talk about is you know, when you have a low cash balance and you see, say, like a spike in volatility, that spike in volatility is just a spike in volatility. It doesn't necessarily mean that an underlying stock actually went anywhere. But if the stock doesn't go anywhere, but the volatility spikes, your broker could require more margin. And if you don't have the margin, they're going to force you to close the position. Now, did the stock go anywhere? Maybe not. Maybe didn't trade really, you know, didn't trade down, didn't trade up, just kind of traded in a range and didn't really go anywhere. 
So your position really hasn't changed. It's just you have to allocate more capital to cover the position from a volatility perspective. So if you don't have enough cash, the broker is going to force you to close it at the worst possible time when you actually do have a good position on and you just need a little bit more of a cash cushion to withstand the increases in margin and volatility. So that's a good example of why we like to have cash. It gives us optionality as, as a, it's a common phrase in finance. It gives us optionality to do things. So as I think about this $3,000 pot, how I would try to split it up is I would try to split it up in 50% allocated and then 50% sitting in cash. Now, the reality is that can't really be done as we start to get to the next step. So if that's the first step, we keep that in mind. We know we're going to have to kind of maybe come back and actually kind of break some of these rules, at least at first, because we, we can't do that with how we're thinking about tickers. So once I figure out that I want to do 50% or or some percentage in cash and some percentage allocated, now I have to figure out, okay, what am I actually going to trade? We still want to try to stick to as much as possible, 5% allocation per ticker symbol. So 5% allocation means no matter how many trades we have on in SPY or TLT, we want that particular ticker symbol, all trades included, as much as possible to be under 5%. Now, 5% of a $3,000 account is $150 per ticker. You can do that for sure. There are trading strategies out there that you could use that would give you $150 of risk or less. $1 wide credit spreads can do this. Uh, $2 wide credit spreads, factoring in the credit, probably could do this. $3 wide spreads, you're starting to get a little bit iffy, right? But you can do this with $150 of risk per ticker, okay? So keep that in the back of your mind. We're targeting 5%. We may actually not hit it because as we keep going through this and we start uncovering more layers of how I would build this out, we may have to break some of these rules. And again, it's not how I would do it originally, but we're just playing a little game of make-believe and assuming that I started over with $3,000. So if I was going to allocate 5% to each individual ticker that I'm trading, the minimum number of tickers that I would choose to trade would be six. I would try as much as humanly possible to trade six uncorrelated ticker symbols. And this is really kind of coming out of the research that we did many months ago that we shared with all of our members, which is this idea that we don't just want to diversify what we're doing. We don't want to trade SPY and IWM. That gives us two tickers. And yes, we're diverse on trading two different tickers, but we have no real portfolio diversity because SPY and IWM are highly correlated to one another. So by trading SPY and IWM, it's really like we're trading the same thing. We're trading the broad markets. So what we need instead is we need to trade symbols that are uncorrelated as much as possible to one another. They don't really have any strong correlation between each other. Not no correlation, just no strong correlation. So in my case, what we're going to trade is we would trade FXI, which is a Chinese uh, ETF, GLD, which is gold, TLT, which is bonds, SPY, which is the broad US markets, XOP, which is oil and gas, and XRT, which is retail. We found that those six, if you had to say, I want to trade just six ticker symbols, those six ticker symbols, the combination of them would create the lowest uncorrelation coefficient amongst them. And so for me, if I was starting with a small account, I would hyper-focus on these areas. Now, a question might come up and saying like, well, why not trade Apple? And why not trade Tesla? And why not trade Facebook? You can trade whatever you want. I'm telling you how I would do it. I would trade these larger, liquid, very tight spread ETFs 
and they're broadly diversified so that we have as much diversity benefit to our portfolio as humanly possible across a base of uncorrelated tickers. You are free to do whatever you want. This is what I would do. I would try to spread it out as wide as possible to try to reduce as much risk as possible as I'm starting out. Because if I'm starting out with $3,000, I really want to make sure that I don't randomly trade Apple and Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat. And then all of a sudden the tech industry has a really bad month and I wipe out my account. I want to trade things that are uncorrelated to one another. So if gold goes down and SPY goes up, TLT and XOP and XRT and FXE and FXI go sideways and I make some money there. Okay. So that's what I'm trying to do. If I were to trade those six positions at $150 per ticker symbol, I would be allocating just $900 for just one set of laddered contracts. Okay. So if I traded all six of those ticker symbols, and if I really stuck to that $150 per ticker symbol, then I would be trading $900 of my account, and that would represent basically 30% of my account. Now at this stage, I could do that. But now the question becomes, well, what strategy do I use? So that all sounds good, Kirk. If I can trade $150 per ticker symbol and I can do really, really narrow spreads, does that really kind of help me get to where I need to go? And so now what I would do in this case and what I've already done is I've kind of already looked at the research and run some back tests to see, look, if I'm going to trade a small account, what is something I could do that has the smallest possible amount of risk, but that also helps check some other boxes that we need to cover. Okay. So hopefully this is helping out. I'm trying to go through as much of a logical progression as possible in doing this. But now at this point, we've kind of determined what we want to trade and we've kind of at least sketched out some ground rules for allocation. Again, keeping in mind, we're trying to hit these targets. Now we have to go to the research and figure out, okay, what strategies should I be using? Now, the simple answer to this is you can really use any strategy you want. The complex answer to this is we should be thinking rationally and smart about the strategies that we use. In my opinion, if I were going to start all over again, I would trade everything neutral. There is no real advantage to trying to pick direction when you're starting with a small account. Because when you do that, you are literally playing the cat and mouse game with the market and it becomes a very stressful couple of months as you start to see your first sets of trades start to develop. Because if you say, let's say you go bullish on everything, well, what if you just so happen to go bullish on every single trade that you made during the top of a market move? What if you went bullish last year in September before the market dropped 20%? That probably would wipe you out. I still subscribe to the idea that it is much better for you to go neutral on everything that you do to start out and rebalance along the way than to start fresh with an uber bullish or an uber bearish portfolio. Again, you make your own decision on how to do it. I'm telling you how I would do it. I would definitely not go bullish or bearish. I would go totally neutral on everything. So that's now starting to narrow down the universe of trading strategies that we would use. It effectively brings the universe down to two basic strategies, iron butterflies and iron condors. You can't trade straddles. You can't trade strangles. You don't have enough capital in your account to do it. And you should be doing everything risk-defined anyway because you want to control risk as much as possible as you start out. So if we just narrow the universe down that way, that means that really you should be doing iron butterflies and iron condors. Now let's take it one step further. 
when we look at the risk profile of something like an iron butterfly, we realize that we're selling at the money strikes like a straddle and we're going really wide on the wings, sometimes six, seven, eight, ten points out on either end. This creates a much larger risk profile. I like to trade iron butterflies, but I have a much larger account right now than $3,000. So I can withstand the larger risk profile of an iron butterfly. Therefore, if you're starting out and you're trading with three, five, even $10,000, an iron butterfly may not fit the bill because it might be just too much risk initially to start out with. So what you might have to actually gravitate towards is doing more iron condors. So in today's podcast, what I really want to focus on is I want to focus on iron condors. I think iron condors are a great starting out trading strategy for people with small accounts because they check a lot of boxes. They are risk defined. They give you the ability to control the width of the spread on either side so that you can reduce risk and do things in a rational manner and a smart way. They also allow you to sell options out of the money so that you don't have to worry necessarily every month about assignment risk or rolling contracts or doing things. You could very well easily find yourself in a situation where you're just getting a good rhythm and cadence under you as you start out with. And then also iron condors are neutral strategies. So they can be set up across all of these different tickers to fulfill the neutral like side of trading that we want to have in our portfolio. Again, you can choose to be bearish or bullish. That's your opinion, but you're really kind of playing the cat and mouse like Frogger game trying to run across the street and not get hit by a car. I would prefer that you go mostly neutral in these strategies, okay? So if we have that as our kind of assumption, now what I would look for is I would go through the research. I've already done this. We'll post screenshots so you can kind of see some of these in the show notes. Just head on over to optionalpha.com slash show 159. Again, that's just the number 159. You'll see screenshots of this so you can see it. But what I would do is I would go through the research and say, okay, look, I'm looking for an iron condor strategy that's going to perform the best, but that also kind of fits what I need to do trading-wise. I can't do something really wide, meaning I can't sell 10 point wide iron condors because that's just way too much risk. That's 900 potentially dollars, $800 of risk per entry. That's just way too big for my account. Now, I don't know if we're going to get to $150 with a $3,000 account of risk. We might have to break that rule and just at least start out with something a little bit more risky because we have to, but I don't want to go to the furthest end of the extreme and trade you know, $900 of risk for one ticker symbol in a $3,000 account. When you actually look at our profit matrix research, one of the things you'll notice is that the iron condor strategy that worked the best in all environments, so no filter, like no filter for you had to do it 10 days versus 30 days, or you had to do it in this implied volatility environment versus that implied volatility environment. We just basically looked and said, look, just broadly speaking, what Iron Condor strategy average worked or worked on average across all of these different markets. And what we found is that a weekly Iron Condor, 40-ish days to go until expiration with a short delta around 20 and a spread width of five produced the highest annual cakers. So the highest annual compounded gross returns. And so that's that's pretty insightful. So that's good for us as a beginner trader because what that tells us is one, Iron condors can work, right? They may not be the best strategy of all the strategies we can trade, but the ones that kind of fit our bill right now for a small account, an iron condor could be a really great strategy, produce positive returns, and we only need to trade it weekly 
if possible. So are we going to be able to trade it weekly with a with a $3,000 account? Maybe not, but at least we can target something that doesn't need to be a daily occurrence. It can be something that we can you know, place and get into the market and start trading on a reoccurring basis without having to accumulate too many trades too fast, okay? So that's the first place I would look. It's just kind of like the broad averages. So again, our profit matrix research that we went through, and again, I'm telling you exactly what it is. You don't have to go through and buy it. I'm actually literally telling you what that strategy is for an iron condor. That helps like tell you some value of what we're trying to do here and teach you. But one of the best strategies you can do is the 40 day to expiration, 20 delta, $5 wide spread, iron condor on a weekly basis. Okay. No profit target, no stop loss, no IV filter, just literally let it on and let it go. These one on average, 75% of the time, you had on average a drawdown of 64% at any one point in time. So again, just keep these numbers in mind. That's a, a decent drawdown for sure. But I mean, look, this is the one that did well over time. So you're going to go through some bumps, some ups and downs. And we did over the back testing period, 135 trades. So it has a, a decent enough trade count that we you know, feel like good about those numbers and at least that they're you know on par on average for the different tickers that we tested. So once I have that as the baseline, does that mean that I should go out and definitely do 40 day, 20 day to expiration ones? No, it's just, it's a guidepost for us. And this is what, you know, all research should be, no matter if you do it from us, from other people, CBOE, you know, other people on their website, AQR, it doesn't matter. Research should be a guidepost, a framework to say, look, I want to point my ship in the right direction. Do I point my ship 13 degrees west or do I point it 12 degrees west? I mean, that's your call. You point it in the exact special you know, vicinity that you want to point in. But we want a guidepost that we should be shooting for. So what we learned so far up to this point is if we're going to do iron condors, we should probably do them at least 40 days out around a 20 delta and not have any filters, meaning don't take profits early necessarily, just let it go to expiration and be smart about it. So the second thing I did is I said, okay, well, let's run this through at least an SPY backtest. So just a single SPY backtest to see if it actually outperforms the S&P. And again, what we did in the profit matrix was an average of all the different, you know, back tests that we have done across the different tickers. So we did those on SPY and IWM and the Qs and TLT. We did them on a broad base of tickers. Now I'm just honing in on one particular individual back test and saying, look, I just want to double check if I were only trade this on SPY, just for the sake of argument, did it actually perform better or not? So if you run this through the back testing, and again, you can see the screenshots on the show notes page, so you can see this for yourself. You run this through the back testing. What we found is that actually what back tests a little bit better than just 40 days to go till expiration was doing the same allocation, but at 60 days to go until expiration, doing the same spread width of $5, but doing short strikes at 15 delta. So for SPY, when we did it at 40 days to go till expiration with a 20 delta, we were basically on par with the market. So we really didn't make any more money than the market. We really didn't lose any more for SPY in particular. So it doesn't mean that it won't work better or worse for other strategies, but for SPY in particular, it didn't work as well. And it just basically tracked the market. When we tweak some of the indicator or some of the settings and we said, okay, if we're going to sell options 60 days to go until expiration and the short strike delta is 15 versus 20, then we actually outperform the market. We had a total return that was 83%, an annual CAGR of 7%, much better sharp ratio. So again, this is highly specific to just SPY. But again, it's building context around the area that we should be shooting for as we build out this strategy. 
There is no unicorn strategy. I try to tell people this all the time, and hopefully I'm proving the point now and kind of really describing it. There's no unicorn strategy that says you always should do this exact thing all the time. What we want is we want to build a framework of context. We want to see research that shows 40 days and 20 delta. And then we want to back test and see, okay, well, actually 60 days and 15 delta. That's a little bit of a slight tweak to the to the trading strategy, but it was still weekly entry. It was still five strikes. There was still no IV rank filter, no stop loss filter. So we're in the ballpark, right? We're in the ballpark of where we should be. For SPY in particular, it looked like 60 days with a 15 delta worked out pretty well. What do we learn from all of this, right? We learn, obviously, that small tweaks can have a difference in performance, right? But what we should have learned in this is that with this iron condor strategy that we're trying to execute, we should be trading somewhere between 40 and 60 days and somewhere between a 15 and 20 delta with a $5 wide strike. I don't think anybody can argue with that. I think that the results are pretty good, broadly speaking, and individually, we tested it on some stuff. It might be a little bit of a tweak for some versus the other, but that's the general range we should be shooting for. We should be shooting for 40 to 60 days, 15 to 20 delta, and $5 wide strikes, okay? So that's what we're going to use as the basis for building out these different option strategies for our six uncorrelated positions. Now... Now that we've gone through this and we have kind of a framework, a target that we're going to be shooting for, obviously, we're never going to be able to sell the exact 15 delta or the exact 20 delta because it's just not how the markets work. And a lot of people get hung up on this because they say, okay, Kirk, now you told me to sell the 20 delta, but I see that there's one that's at a 23 and the other one's at 19. So what do I sell? And again, this is where you just have to make a judgment call. You have to look at the open interest. You got to look at the pricing, see which one you want to do, and hopefully make a smart decision about how you should go about this. But this is why I try to explain to people, it's not about hitting a perfect exact 20 delta. It's about shooting for a range that works out well long-term across a lot of different ticker symbols and a lot of different research. So our range that we're shooting for, 40 to 60 days. So it could be 40 days, could be 60 days, could be 50 days. We probably want to stay on either end of 40 or 60. It probably could be 15 delta and 20 delta. You could even say if you're at 40 days to go until expiration, you want to do a 20 delta. If you're at 60 days to go until expiration, you want to focus more on a 15 delta. And so that would be one way to go about it too. It's just kind of you know subdividing even just the little research that we did and saying 40 days to go, maybe favor the 20 delta. 60 days to go, maybe favor the 15 delta. Okay. Now that we've started doing this, we run into an issue, okay? We know we want to start doing these wider iron condors, which, oh, and sorry, I want to back up and say one thing. We tested three-point wide iron condors. They did not perform as well as a five-point wide iron condor. So although we wanted to and we tried to initially curb and control our risk as much as possible, what we ended up finding was that three-point wide iron condors just didn't fit the bill. They didn't perform well. And in many cases, they just underperformed everything. So can you trade a three-point wide iron condor? If you want to, you definitely can, but it shouldn't be the standard target. The idea that we learned from research, and we've talked about this before, but it's worth reiterating, is that when you go a little bit wider with your strikes, as much as rationally possible, you end up doing 
okay, and you end up doing pretty well in it. So we definitely confirmed that in our research, the five-point wide iron condor worked better than the three-point wide iron condor, okay? We're trying to keep risk still contained as much as possible, but at the same time, we want to try to trade something that ends up generating some money. So now that we have this target, it's going to be very hard for us to hit our minimum account or our minimum allocation threshold. So initially we were targeting 5% allocation, which is $150 of risk per ticker symbol. Well, if we're doing a $5 wide iron condor or something close to that, we're probably looking at risk around $400, somewhere around $100 of premium is what we saw in research and backtesting. So that means around $400 of risk per symbol. So this is where we kind of run into, honestly, just a little bit of a roadblock and issue with a small account. This is why a small account doesn't frankly work as well as just starting with a little bit more money. Because when you trade with a small account, now basically what you're forced to do is you're forced to trade things at a higher allocation than we would like you to do that. So at $400 of risk, that's 13% of your account when you start with $3,000. Clearly, if I haven't reiterated again, This is why we don't suggest people start with $3,000 because it forces you in many respects to trade things that work that require a little bit more risk. If we had a $5,000 account, just for the sake of argument, a $5,000 account trading $400 of risk per ticker symbol would be about 8% allocation. Now, that's still above our 5% threshold that we like to keep people under or like to suggest that you stay under. But 8% is much closer to 5% than 13. So now you're starting to see why we say, look, at least $5,000 because now you're starting to get somewhere. At $5,000 of account size when you start, you're starting to give yourself enough wiggle room so that each individual ticker symbol becomes less and less important in the grand scheme of things. But again, for this argument, we're just going to assume you're forcing me and twisting my hand and saying, Kirk, you have to do this $3,000 portfolio. How would you do it? Well, I would actually start doing it with six positions that are at $400 of risk. And that would break a lot of rules. But if you're forcing me to do it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to say, look, this is how I would do it. I would do six positions at $400 of risk. That would be $2,400 allocated. That would be 80% of the account. So at this point, I've done everything risk defined. I have as much diversity as humanly possible. I'm trading things that have a very high probability of success, but I'm over allocating. And so at this point, I've got about 20% left over, which is not where I want to be. But if it's Again, for the sake of argument, and you're forcing me to do this and go through this model, this is where I would be. Just to, again, reference back to the $5,000 account. If we had a $5,000 account, and if I did six positions of $400 of risk, which is $2,400 of risk overall, $2,400 of risk in a $5,000 account is just 48%. So if I were to start with $5,000, do you see how quickly the numbers that we suggest for overall allocation and for individual position allocation start quickly getting to the targeted areas that we suggest? 5% allocation with a $5,000 account, you're at 8% allocation. So you're not there yet, but you're almost there. If you trade with a $5,000 account and you do all six of these positions, $400 of risk a piece, you're basically at under 50% allocated. So you have a lot more capital to work with and you have a much bigger cushion, okay? So I really just want to make that distinction because I think it's really important. And this is why people ask, you know, why do you say, you know, 3,000 versus 5,000 or anything above 5,000? 
It's because I want you to know how I think about it. I think about it in these percentages and terms. At 5,000, you get much closer. So what would I do now? So now I have my six ticker symbols, FXI, GLD, TLT, SPY, XOP, XRT. I go out there, I make a trade that's somewhere between 40 and 60 days, targeting between a 20 and a 15 delta for our short strikes. I go out as much as $5, being rational about it, which we'll talk about here in a second. And I literally just rinse and repeat exactly this strategy. I would do this every single time, every single month, every expiration period. If one trade falls off, I would enter the new trade and the new one and the new one and the new one. From here, you should probably be trying to take profits on an opportunistic basis, okay? So when a trade starts going your way, and let's say there's still 30 days to go in the expiration cycle, but your premium has gone from $100 down to $10, meaning you've made 90% of your money. Okay, the math and numbers in many cases might say just to keep it and let it go to expiration. I'm saying that's probably something you should take off early, right? If you've made 90% of your money in the first 10 days, you probably want to take this position off, okay? So I think what a lot of people struggle with is this difference between just following the exact framework of a backtesting and just being smart and rational about how you look at positions. So in my opinion, you should use the backtesting as a framework. We've already talked about this, but it's worth repeating. Use it as a framework, a guidepost. But if you make 90% of your premium in the first 10 days and the next 25 days, you're only going to make maybe $10 but you're going to have 25 days of extra risk that the market goes completely against you, to me, that is a position you take off. Now, backtesting-wise, it might be perfect to let the position on, and you'd be totally right in doing that and saying, look, the backtesting says leave it on and let it go to expiration. Fine, but I would rather take that position off. I'd rather be rational about it and just be smart about how I use the capital in my account, specifically because... I've got a lot allocated with a $3,000 account and a lot's riding on getting a high consistency of trades that are winners early right out of the gate. So I would try to be a little bit more opportunistic than maybe backtesting might suggest as you continue to grow your portfolio further. If you have a $100,000 account or $100,000 account, sure, you can let it go on and you can collect an extra couple hundred dollars by letting the premium decay, but you don't. At a smaller account level, you have to be a little bit more opportunistic about how you take money off the table. Does that mean that you take profits at 25%? Probably not. Does that mean you take them at 50%? Still, probably not. It probably means you take them much closer to full value than not. It means you take $100 credit and you remove the position after you've collected 90% of that, right? Something around that level so that you stay consistent. The other thing you should do is stay consistent with not using stop losses. In all of the research that we had, it really was apparent that stop losses created more losing trades. So as much as it's going to be a challenge for you as a new trader, especially when you're starting with a small account, you want to avoid using stop losses. That means that stocks are going to go against you. It means that you're going to see some drawdowns in some cases. But stop losses, especially with a small account, can quickly diminish your account value and take you right out of the game. So another thing you should do, again, is stay consistent with not using stop losses. I know this is contrary to what 
A lot of people like to say online that stop losses help reduce risk, but they really don't. The first line of defense are things like the tickers you select, your position sizing, your allocation, etc. You want to get those close to the target as possible. The last thing that you should do is you should adjust to reduce risk and curb losses. So as we're going through this process of rinsing and repeating all of these trades month after month, taking profits where we can take profits, not using stop losses, we're going to also start entertaining the idea of adjusting and reducing risk. So as you get closer to expiration, as we've gone through another podcast, so you can just scroll back through other podcasts and talk, uh, listen to the the shows we did about when to adjust and using triggers and how to go make adjustments, how to do it. When you start getting closer to expiration, if you have the ability to roll one side of the iron condor closer to reduce risk and turn a $100 loser into a $20 loser, you should do that. You should deliberately try to be a good mitigator of risk. Now, the, the dance here that you have to do for sure is how soon do you adjust? How, you know, how much do you let it go till expiration? How closely till expiration before you make the adjustment? I'm of the opinion that we generally want to be more patient than not. So if we're trading 40 days to go until expiration or 60 days to go until expiration, if the stock moves against me the first 10 days or the first 20 days, I'm not going to jump out of my seat to make an adjustment. I'm just going to realize that markets are cyclical and they move in ebbs and flows. I'm not going to make an adjustment at that point. I usually like to make adjustments kind of the last 15, two-ish weeks to go until expiration. When you get into the month of expiration, then you should start looking for ways to reduce risk, okay? And again, do this on a basis that would help the whole portfolio. So look at your whole portfolio. If you generally have a neutral stance, then you should be okay to start making adjustments that reduce risk. If you need bullish exposure, make adjustments that help give you bullish exposure. I mean, again, a lot of the basic fundamentals of just building out a portfolio are still something that you should lean on with a small account, just keeping balanced, looking for ways to reduce risk, not making sure that you have too many positions on one side. If you're trading all iron condors, that should mostly take care of itself. So you don't have to worry about that. But if you are doing credit spreads, then yeah, you got to worry about balance and and just directional risk in the market. The last thing that I'm going to talk about, and I think I said the last thing for the last one, but this is actually the last one. The last thing I'm going to be talking about is just be smart about all of your trading that you do. And I'm going to post a screenshot of this so you can see this example on the site on the show notes. So again, just head on over to optionalpha.com slash show 159. But one of the examples and tickers that we would trade in this setup, like I had mentioned earlier, is XOP. And in the research, it suggests that we should go $5 wide to do the iron condor in all environments. Well, $5 wide is great. But if you're really smart about how you look at strike prices and you look at the options pricing table, you might find that in some instances, you don't need to go $5 wide to execute a good strategy on one end. So when you look at this screenshot of XOP, when you go to the website, you'll see the option pricing table at the time I took this screenshot for the 32-day to go till expiration July contracts. They don't actually have the next month, which are August open yet. So there's nothing further than that, but that was the closest to 40 days that we could get. But when you look at the July contracts, if I was selling, say the 15 to 20 Delta, the 17 Delta contracts were the 28 strike calls, which actually was kind of cool because it's right in between our targeted range of 20 Delta to 15. So I'd sell the 17 Delta call options, which are the 28 strike call options. And I pointed this out in the screenshot when you can see it. 
And then if I went out $5 from that level, and that would basically get me out to the 33 level call option contracts, there was no liquidity, zero, none, no liquidity and no price. I think the price was like 0.005. So it's 50 cents if you could find somebody to do it. So now the question becomes, well, Kirk, you told me to go out $5 wide. Yes, go out $5 wide if there's liquidity out there to do it. In this case, you don't need to go out $5. Now, this is a good problem to have because in this case, the market is so tight. And since it's a lower price ETF, you may only need to go out $2 to buy really, really cheap protection. So now people are going to say, well, Kirk, I thought you said $3 wide strikes didn't perform as well. So now we're going $2 wide. Isn't that not going to perform as well? Well, $3 wide strikes across a lot of different ticker symbols that maybe are higher priced, lower priced across a lot of different trading. Yes, does not perform as well. But what I'm telling you to go is go out as far as rationally possible. So in this case, going out $5 is almost impossible because there's no liquidity and there's no price. And all you're doing is you're forcing a bad trade into the market, which is going to increase your risk. In this case, if you look at the screenshot, going out $2 costs almost nothing to buy protection and it reduces your risk on this particular iron butterfly to just $200. So now, even though we know generally we might have some iron butterflies that are $400 of risk, If we were to trade XOP today, we would have just $200 of risk for this iron butterfly. That's a win. That's a good trade for us to get into. Now, the wings are a little bit tighter. That's not what we want. But ultimately, by reducing risk and by going out as far as the market allows us in this case, we are taking advantage of the pricing in the market and we execute a strategy that still is neutral, still has high probability of success, we still want to get into. So these are some of the intricacies that I know can be a little bit difficult. Believe me, I'm not like shy to this. We get hundreds of emails a day on this, but I'm trying to help you walk through how I would think about it. I would have a frame of reference that says, I want to go out $5, but I'm not just going to go out $5 just because. Just because the market, the backtesting says go out $5. If I can go out $3 and buy a dollar contract for protection and curb a little bit of my risk, maybe I'll do that in that case. Now, generally, I want to go out $5 on average, but here and there, if I don't need to go out $5 or if there's no liquidity out there, then I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to just force it just for the sake of doing it, right? So hopefully that helps out. And again, if you have any questions on the screenshot, let me know. I'm trying to go through as many of these questions as I know continuously like pop up and, and hopefully curb a lot of questions that might come out of this podcast. All right. So I think that kind of wraps up what we would do in this portfolio. I know this has been a long one. I know that this has been a lot of numbers back and forth. If you're a new trader and you need to listen to this again, please listen to it again. Listen to it two or three times and hopefully you catch some stuff that maybe you didn't catch before. If you haven't already gone through all the free training and the tracks, that's the first place to start. So if you're totally new to this and you're like, whoa, you just said a lot of things I don't even know about. There's a lot of verbiage in here, like options and strike prices and calls and puts then go through the training and the tracks and come back to this once you're starting to build out your portfolio. Again, if I were to build out a $3,000 portfolio, which is not what I would suggest people start with, but if you're forcing me to do it on the podcast and go through the motions to work through this, 
I would try to do six uncorrelated tickers. I would try to do iron condors. It would be 40 to 60 days to go until expiration, 15 to 20 deltas, trying to take opportunistic profits, not removing positions for stop losses, and trying to cut risk and reduce losses where I can as we get closer to expiration. So that would be my thought process on how I would build this out. If you guys enjoyed this, please let me know. Head on over to the website at optionalpha.com slash show 159. Leave me a message there. Head on over to optionalpha.com slash ask. Leave me a voicemail if you have questions or have any other follow-ups. Hopefully this has been a worthy podcast to listen to and a fun little experiment in how I kind of think about the process of building these things out. I think in the future, we'll do some other ones that we have kind of scheduled out around building out different portfolios that are a little bit bigger and how I think about portfolios that are bigger versus portfolios that are smaller. But I know that this has been a really, really highly anticipated and asked for show. So that's why I wanted to make sure that we do that. So uh, before we get into the trader Q&A segment, I wanted to, again, give a quick shout out to someone who left a review for us on iTunes in the community. Again, I really appreciate this. I don't read these just because I love reading these. I just want you guys to know that we're actually listening to you. We hear what you guys are saying. We read the positive reviews, the bad reviews, the negative reviews, the everything. We we definitely want to get your guys' feedback. So if you have time and you think this podcast is helping out, please head on over to iTunes, leave a review and a rating. It definitely helps us out and gets us into the hands of other people who are just like you. So Bay Jangle, oh, Bojangles is what it is. So I think it's just a fancy way to say Bojangles said on iTunes on May 22nd, he said, complete training pipeline. So many market educators teach you 75% of what you know, need to know to make their system work and then charge you for the key components. It's not the case here. It really helps to separate a passionate ed- educator from the rest of the salesmen. So your time here is not wasted. So we appreciate that review very much, Bojangles. And again, hopefully we're doing right by you guys and trying to teach you guys as much as we're learning and help frame it in a context and a medium that helps you guys learn and get to the next level, which is obviously what we're trying to do here at Option Alpha. So let's get into the Trader Q&A segment and talk through a question that we got today from a guy named Matt. And now our favorite part of the show, Trader Q&A, where we ask a question from one of our current members about options trading. Got a question you'd like to ask Kirk to answer live on the air? Just head on over to optionalpha.com forward slash ask and hit the record button to leave a message. That's optionalpha.com forward slash ask. And now here's today's question. Hi, Kirk. My name is Matt. I'm from Connecticut. I've been trading options since January and a member of this site for about the last three weeks. I've just started trading multi-lug strategies and I greatly appreciate all your tutelage on how to do options properly. I had a general question. Let's say, for example, that your entire portfolio is made up of iron condor trades at the 70% success rate. Given the recent drop in the market and the volatility that the indices have experienced, is it safe to say that your positions would be greatly hurt by the increase in volatility once you've established the position. I've noticed that all of my trades are in the negative, and I'm wondering if this is simply an artifact of the increased volatility in the market. Again, Kirk, thanks for everything you do. I appreciate it. Take care. All right, Matt, thank you so much again for your question. And the short answer to your question is, 
Yes. If you had an entire portfolio made up of iron condor trades, 70% success level. Ironic that this question is actually filtered in here for today's uh, podcast. That was not random. That was definitely on purpose. I wanted to make sure that this question got into today's podcast because of what we were talking about. Yes. If we had a recent drop in the market or we had an increase in volatility, it's definitely safe to say would hurt a lot of the positions. The backdrop to this is hopefully you have a lot of uncorrelated positions. There's no doubt that rising implied volatility and very fast moving markets are not the best markets for iron condors or iron butterflies in that case. We know intuitively that where our risk is, is when implied volatility goes from a low level to a high level. And that usually happens when stocks start moving from slow to very fast. So the answer to your question is yes, we're definitely going to feel some pain in that environment, depending on where things go. How we can help reduce or mitigate that risk is through position sizing, overall allocation sizing so that we have enough cash available, and then through the uncorrelated tickers that we're trading. So even if the U.S. markets go through a big down move, that doesn't mean that emerging markets or China went through the same move. What we saw last year at the end of 2018 through Q4 is we saw the U.S. markets take a tank and nosedive, but actually a lot of other things didn't move. FXE really didn't move. FXI really didn't move. I mean, it moved. Don't get me wrong. It didn't stay the same the entire time, but it didn't go through the big drawdown that the US markets went through. So when you're in that environment and you're worried about this large systemic risk across everything, what you should fall back on is things like position sizing, laddering into new positions so that no one entry becomes the most important entry in your portfolio, and then also spreading your positions out over uncorrelated tickers. Is this going to curb all the risk? Definitely not. You're definitely still going to go through drawdowns. It's a it's an inevitable thing that's going to happen. And so when you get into a situation like that, you just have to keep the mechanics the same. You have to realize that you just went through a bad sequencing of trades and you hopefully have to get out of that by just staying the course, staying rhythmic and mechanical about how you enter positions. So hopefully this helps out. As always, if you want to get your question answered here on the podcast or live on Facebook and Periscope as we've been answering questions over there, please head on over to optionalpha.com slash ask, just like Matt did, and click the big red button in the middle of the screen and leave me a private voicemail. Again, there's no software to download or install. It does it right on your browser. You just click the button and you can record your voicemail to me. It's really, really easy to do and we love getting them and we'll get it queued up for the next podcast. All right, so let's get into the closing bell segment today where I'm gonna discuss a bunch of portfolio cleanup that we're doing right now. Now, the closing bell. Find out which stocks we're looking at right now, trades we're making, and hear our game plan moving forward. All right. So in today's closing bell segment, I actually don't want to go over a new trade that we're getting into. I want to wrap up a bunch of portfolio cleanup that we're doing at the end of expiration month for June. So at the time that we're recording this, it's June expiration week. We've gone through a bunch of different positions during the month of expiration. We close all the positions that are profitable as we're kind of working it up. But then as we get to the last week or so of expiration, you have positions that are just junk. And what I usually refer to as like, this is like clearing out the trash. We've entered a bunch of positions for the month of expiration for June. 
The ones that were profitable have already been taken off and are removed. And now what's left over is left over the junk, the stuff that just totally moved against us that we couldn't adjust, couldn't fix, now cannot roll or adjust and, and safely take credits or move to the next expiration period. This is the stuff that you just have to clean up. And so expiration week can be sometimes tough and traumatic for traders. I don't know why. Ultimately, it's something that you're going to go through every month. You're going to go through months where you have a lot of portfolio cleanup. Other months, you're going to have not so much portfolio cleanup. We posted a video on YouTube where we had, I think it was in May expiration, we only had two losing trades in May expiration. And I mentioned in the video, like that was below average. Like we had a lot of winning trades in May and that was an above average month for us, like where we should be long-term, just how the numbers shook out. So I expected that in the future, we probably have a month where we have a lot of losing trades because it's just, you know, from month to month, it's not going to always be perfectly 70% winners or 75% winners. You're going to have this ebb and flow of how your profits and losses come in. So I figured it was important to kind of go over this one, because I'm not afraid of showing what we do and how we kind of do things here at Option Alpha. Obviously, you've seen that in the last podcast that we went through, but I think it's just helpful to know that I'm not just going over all the new trades that we're doing, that I'm talking about trades that we lose on, that I'm not embarrassed about or don't feel bad about. Like they're just trades to me. Like a lot of people work them up to be more than they are, but to me, they're just trades. They're positions that didn't work out that we just remove. So today we ended up closing out of a bunch of different tickers. In total, we closed out losses in these particular sets of trades of $4,265 of total losses. For, so for our account, that was a little over 1% in total losses. So it's not that bad. It's like well within the margin of fluctuation for sure and actually pretty stable because we don't have too much allocated. But the number can be sometimes alarming to people depending on your account size. But we closed out of our GLD position for a $981 loss, our FXI position for a $644 loss, one of our XOP positions for a $1,095 loss, another XOP for $783 loss, EWZ we closed out of for 153 loss and another EWZ for $609 loss. All of these positions had massive moves. They went completely against us and we didn't have time to adjust or roll or hedge. And this is going to happen. This is part of the game. And this is why I'm talking about this because it is, I hate the fact that this industry is now going towards the side of like, everything should be a hundred percent probability of success. Even though people say, oh, I don't want to win a hundred percent of the time. I still get all the emails. Like, why do we have losing trades, Kirk? And I reply back and say, because it's not a hundred percent probability of success and you're going to have losing trades. So I wanted to go over this just to show you guys, this is what we do. This is like a standard operating procedure. During the entire month, we're closing positions all the time. Hit a profit target, close. Hit a profit target, close. That happens for the first three, four weeks of the expiration cycle. The last week of the expiration cycle is condensed because this is all the junk. Now I got to clean out all the junk and these things didn't work. I gave it as much time as possible. There's four days to go until expiration. So these didn't work. So now we got to clean them out. So Hopefully by going through some of this stuff more and more and just kind of like bringing this up and like showing this in, uh, you know, hopefully a brighter light in a different stage helps you understand that it's not all, you know, like bad, that you shouldn't go through the emotional ups and downs that are, you know, involved in many trading, you know, I guess systems or strategies that maybe you're used to, that you should just look at this stuff objectively. These are trades. You're going to have winners. You're going to have losers. In a high probability system, the losers are always bigger in dollar amount than all of the perceived winners are going to add up to. But at the end of the day, the small winners always overshadow the few losers. 
and that's how it's going to work out. So hopefully this helps out. Again, if you guys have any questions about this, head on over to optionalpha.com slash show 159. Leave me a comment there and I'd be happy to go through any of those questions for you guys. Thanks for listening to the Option Alpha podcast. If you liked what you heard, please drop by iTunes and leave a rating or comment. Plus, you can get everything. Free email updates for future shows, transcripts, video tutorials, case studies, and more. Just visit our website at optionalpha.com. All right, so I truly hope you guys enjoyed today's show as always and hopefully got at least one thing out of it that you can apply right now to make you a smarter, more profitable trader and investor. As always, you can get additional resources, links mentioned in the show, related video training from today's show by going to optionalpha.com. And until next time, happy trading.